0: Welcome to the Law & Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder of Law & Sport. If you're not familiar with Law & Sport, there is a clue in the name. Law & Sport is the leading independent online sports law website providing expert commentary and analysis on the latest issues and legal developments in the world of sport. In these podcasts, I'll be speaking with leading figures from the business, legal and sports world about the current events and legal developments in the world of sport. A few weeks ago, I was lucky enough to pop down to Twickenham the home of the rugby football union, which is the national governing body of grassroots and elite rugby in England, and record a video of one of the RFU's in-house lawyers and the Law and Sport Advisory Board member, Angus Bielski. Angus did such a great job on his video presentation, we thought we should share it again on our podcast. If you want to work for a national governing body of sport, or perhaps you already do, I would thoroughly recommend you listen to Angus share some of his experiences about the legal and commercial considerations that national governing bodies of sport have to face.
1: Hi, I'm Angus Bielski. I'm a solicitor at the Rugby Football Union here at Twickenham. What I want to talk about today is some of the the challenges faced by a sports governing body from a from a commercial angle. Now, I suppose the first the first question really talking about governing body is what is a governing body there for? What, what does it do? I mean, there are sort of lots of different answers to that, but to my mind, there are sort of three principal areas. The first is an operator or entity that runs national sides, so in in a lot of ways probably similar to a a club will run senior men's sides, senior women's sevens, all sorts of other sides. The second would be an operator of competitions, either at a a national or or at at an international level. And then thirdly in terms of guardian of the game, investor, regulator effectively running the game in this country. Now starting with the RFU as Organiser of, of national sides. Now there are a lot of things probably in common with, you know, any sports team, whether it's you know rugby, football, or, or, or anything else. So thinking about the ter- types of the assets or inventory owned, um, we'll have, of course, you know, a stadium, you know, plenty of black branding, um, other opportunities, sponsorship on the shirt, kit manufacture, all these sort of things that, that any sports team might might have. Now as a governing body there are, there are a couple of sort of nuances there. The difficulty I suppose is thinking where a governing body sits in terms of, for want of a better word, hierarchy of, of sports. So you've got international competition, national side, a player's, player's club and then finally the, the player themselves. Now in a sense they're one of the main one of the main pieces of inventory if you like is is the the players in terms of what what they're wearing in terms of their their likeness what what have you and what what's quite what's quite tricky is making sure that's parcelled out right across say these four different areas Probably tomorrow, morning, this one of the good examples might be say the beer category so for example you've got the ILB who run the Rugby World Cup will have their beer partner Heineken um, where you'll see in. You know, in the run-up to 2015, increasing active, I imagine. Um, for us, the RFU, our beer partner is Green King, has been for, for a number of years. Looking down then at you know, all our sort of Premiership clubs will have their own beer partners, cider partners, you know, whatever that might be. And finally, the players themselves may well have yet another personal deal, which might be different from all those three. So you might end up with with one player who's got potentially four different. Um, four different partners if you like in in different contexts. Now there are a number of different ways of, of doing this and the way we found this works very well. I mean the, the starting point of course is to be absolutely clear in all your contractual arrangements what rights your sponsor has, what rights the the ILB has, what rights the the player have I me mean, absolutely crystal clear both in the contract but also when negotiating them being absolutely upfront so you know your partner understands so then you don't you're not storing up sort of difficulties for the for the future having been ever so clever in the drafting. Now the way we do it with, with players is is probably slightly different to, to some of the NGBs. We have rather than centrally contracting players as the as the ECB do or um, the FA do with say women's footballers what what we'll do is have a, it's called the Elite Player Agreement, so it's a tripartite agreement with the RFU, the player and his club, which sets out a number of things, not not just commercial We'll set out, player release, and go, going beyond what, um, what are in the, the RB regulations, allowing us to access players more, uh, we'll go through sort of medical protocols, which, which have worked you know, extremely well over the last few years to work out for the you know, best for player club and, and country. But also the commercial side so the way it's cut is there are sort of three parts to it the we can access we the rfu can access the player uses imagery in an england context so that's you know using say three players together with the rose whether it's a twickenham something else but very much in an england context the idea being it's not a player's personal endorsement then the club can use the player in in a club context again not not a personal endorsement no no england um, references, and then finally, that what the player can do themselves. So again, not in England context. So no use of the rose, no use of a, a, you know, a white shirt. Um, talking about England, talking about Twickenham, this sort of thing. Again, not in a club context. It's very much the, the player on, you know, the player on their own, if you like. And we find that works. You know, that works pretty well because everybody's absolutely clear as to you know what can be done and, and how. Now. What we've seen is, in terms of perhaps a little bit of sort of synergy, for want of a better word, between between those three, will be where where a player has a personal endorsement with an England partner. So, for example, Chris Robshaw's deal with um, with BMW. Now, what the way we sort of allow this is, not only can you know BMW access the player as, as they could with you know any other player that they, they might have a deal with, but because they're an England partner, then they could be they can use England imagery so it just adds that bit of flexibility which kind of works probably best for all parties because you know for the player it allows them to access um, you know hopefully high class, blue, proper sort of blue chip sponsors, um, increases their value because they can be used in the England context. From the brand's perspective obviously it's great because you can use the player, you can use the England context, perhaps with A bit more flexibility, perhaps, than than they might get under you know a strict sort of England partnership deal. And then for us, again, it's it's, you know most activation is good activation. So the more that you know, the more the partners activate, the more stuff they put out, you know, the the better for us, the better for our brand, the better for you know visibility of rugby. So you know, fans. Again, by having I mean the key, the key with all this is having good relationships with your partners and good relationships with with your players. And in you know in both cases, I think we're in, we're in a pretty good place personally. Um, but you know, the, as with all these things, the, the key is you know being upfront, being honest, being transparent, and making sure that you know, frankly, the the relationship works works pretty well. I mean, what the, I mean, this is sort of probably relevant both to to the RFU as a, um, as a runner of, you know, an organiser of teams, but also an, as an organiser of competition. to you see, we're, we're sort of in the midst of preparation for the, the Premiership final on Saturday, and then England Barbarians on Sunday, so it's a bit of a sort of tight turnaround. But, I mean, you'll see, I mean, this is probably quite a good example, because you can see sort of how things are changing. So, and we've got, you know, the standard sort of England branding here, Rhino being our equipment partner, sort of O2, and you can see some of the, the O2 branding around the, um, around the big screen. Now, these are sort of rights that we'll give to our partners, but of course, when when we hire the stadium, um, as we do to to Premiership Rugby for the final, all our branding's got to come out. All the new branding comes in, so which is increasingly quite quite a challenge for um, for governing bodies or any owners of of stadium uh, stadium. You have to provide, in effect, you know, a clean stadium as you know coming up with the Champions League final. So Wembley have got to do the same thing. So you're stripping everything out, putting new branding up. So you've got this sort of real, real challenge between trying to make um, a stadium very distinctive. In our case, very rfu very england rugby um you know which is right of course you know for england games for the the sort of grassroots stuff the bill beaumont cup and stuff that we have here you're absolutely right that it's a real england rfu feel but of course it not to the point that you can't take all this stuff out and put here you know all the sort of yellow for for aviva and all sorts of you know other things in so it's a it's a real sort of challenge and i think and, and you know we're, we're going through a sort of big stadium modernization program so just to make that ease of bump in bump out you know as, as, as absolutely you know easy as possible but you know see with the sort of led stuff it makes things a lot easier because you not take forever sort of taking and putting back branding so top tier we've got to take in and out but um you know the lower tier and then now for the beginning of this season we had the, the mid-tier led which i don't know if you've seen it on telly but on a, you know, the risk of being really on message I mean it looks brilliant because you know you don't have all these kind of little tiny little little bits of, of signage going you can do really coherent sort of messaging either you know from our perspective we'll do it all as fan engagement or, or England stuff rather than advertising but I mean certainly some of the people we've hired the stadium to we use it much more as you know just strict absolutely advertising which you know, that's, that's, that's their prerogative we, we look at it slightly differently um so that that's where I think, as an, as an NGB, you know, it's probably again relatively similar to what you might find in a you know in a sports club because they might do these same sort of things. But but thinking about the types of matches we we have here it tends to be these you know hopefully sort of proper big big showcase events, which tend to be these big sort of clean stadium events. Um, so I suppose that leads on to talk about uh, the RFU or you know, the governing body generally as as organiser of competition. So. We've got. I mean, although we don't organise the Premiership, we do, you know, do a lot of stuff for the discipline and and what have you. But where we're a governing body, I think, is a bit of advantage, and and certainly we're in a good place in in rugby. Is that we can organise our own international competitions. So you you think about where certainly things like sort of football or or tennis, perhaps some of the bigger competitions, like you know, obviously like the World Cup, the Grand Slams. They're not owned by the the governing bodies, and they're owned by international federations or, or by somebody else. So, which makes it much more difficult to, um, you know, to, to, to monetize to monetise or to, um, you know, auto activate effectively. And so you know, same for us with the, with the World Cup. But by having things like the the auto internationals or you know the QB internationals, you've got naming rights, you've got all sorts of branding. You're really pretty unfettered, which I mean is great from a yeah, great from a revenue perspective because you can really sell valuable rights um, that absolutely stand alone. But, you know, but also, you know, your, your partners can really activate because they know, you know, for this series, certainly for the QBE, you know, done absolutely brilliant things. You know, they've branded all, you know, Twickenham Stadium, Richmond Stadium, Waterloo, trains, buses, you know, everything around here. And it's, you know, from a governing body's perspective, that's perfect because you want, you know, you want your partners to activate because they do it in the context of your tournament, so it's promoting the tournament, promoting the series. So yeah, it's tremendous. Yeah, again, tremendous I mean the same thing's sort of true for, from for us. Um, an organised tournament, so they're more grassroots level, that you've got more inventory than you know, under your under your control, so naming rights to a competition. Um, you've got um, the ability to put, you know, to sell different little bits I think of, in of, terms advertising, of put, putting us, together and then and then managing a, a sponsorship or, or partnership agreement. I mean probably I suppose probably the three things you look for. I mean, the most important thing probably is to be absolutely clear on on the rights that you've got and make those absolutely exhaustive um, both from a contractual perspective but being upfront and clear with the sponsor that you know this is a package that you get and that's it and you know thing things grow and, you know organically but being absolutely clear as to what what those rights are the second probably just as important is, is exclusivity you know how far that extends and then perhaps what other partners in the same not necessarily our partners, but other other entities in the same sector might you know, might be able to, to do. being absolutely clear, again, both from a contract... Well, very importantly, from a contractual perspective, being absolutely bang on, but also educating the is you know, from taking the beer example, as we talked about, that, you know, for, for us, for Green King, um, you know, right, these are the rights that you've got. But, of course, for the World Cup, things don't apply. You know, Heineken will be active, you know, at a club level... You know, a, a club's partner will, will be active in different contexts. I mean, you know, making sure that everybody absolutely, you know, absolutely understands that. Um, and the the third thing, probably, I, don't, I, I probably even though those two actually are the most are the most important things. I think really, um, you know, plenty of other things. You know, people love to talk about you know morality clauses and renegotiation rights and all these sort of things, but. If you've got your rights and you've got your exclusivity right, a lot of the rest hopefully looks after itself. So, those are my, my two top tips.